0: Love Talk Radio
1: Choices, decisions Frustrations and pain Knowing I'm going To forget her someday their hearts and understand that I Well, hello, everyone, and welcome to Alzheimer's Speaks Radio. I'm your host, Lori LeBay, the founder of Alzheimer's Speaks, which is an advocacy-based company providing multiple platforms to shift our dementia care culture from crisis to comfort around the world. At our core, we believe That we can really win this battle against dementia if we work together. And I'm thrilled to announce that we were just recognized by Dr. Oz and Sharecare as being the number one influencer online for Alzheimer's disease. And I want to thank all of our listeners for that because without you listening to the radio show and sharing these episodes and going to the blog and the resource website and all the other platforms that we have participating in webinars. Uh, we would not have been recognized for that. So uh, really that's a recognition of our com- community that we built here. And so, again, I just want to thank you all. I really believe it's important that we join forces and share knowledge and, and have those everyday conversations about life with dementia and how we can remove those stigmas pertaining to memory loss. And in doing so, we can really help those dealing with this disease um, and I believe that from the bottom of my toes because I've been living with this disease for over 30 years through my mother's own journey with memory loss. And today we are going to have a really special guest who has also been on that journey. And I will introduce Jane in, in just a bit. I still want to give for many of you who are new to our show just a little bit of, of background about us um, Again, we're about raising awareness and and really working together. Uh, We just don't feel that we can be motivated by fear anymore. It's time to really shift gears, come together, and collaborate. So if you have questions or comments while we're on the air today, please utilize your chat box, um, make your question or comment, or you can always call in live at 714 364 5, 7. That's 714 364 4757. And if you have a question or comment, all you have to do is go ahead and push one, and then I'll know uh, to pull you into the show uh, when there's a natural break in the conversation. And we are very much a casual conversation. Uh, this is not scripted. We, we really just talk from the heart, and we would love to have your input as well. Normally, we have our channel expert with us, Rick Phelps, who is actually living with the disease. But Rick is not able to make it today because he is the founder of Memory People, and they are actually having their first little convention out in New York. And so Rick is busy meeting his um, social community that he built on Memory People through Facebook. And for those of you that are not familiar uh, with Memory People, if you're part of Facebook, uh, just write in Memory People and it will pop up and you can go ahead and act, ask to uh, to join the group because it is a wonderful, wonderful support group. I also just like to mention that if you are searching for um, clinical trials, uh, you might want to just go to don'tforgetalzheimers.com uh, they have a lot of different trials that can help uh, get people asking me about that all the time. And needless to say, I can't keep track of them, <clears throat> nor do I want to. That's not my expertise. Uh, so with no further ado, I am going to go ahead and introduce our guest today, who is Jane Cooper. Jane is a trained sports psychologist, masseuse, and exercise consultant. She knows exercise has a, uh, is a great prescription in assisting people to the road of recovery. And when Jane's dad died in 2009, she started to write about her shared experience in relationship to his late-onset Alzheimer's disease and the impact that it had on his family and the failure of social services to be much help. Her writing is a family saga, and it's seen through the eyes of a devoted daughter but it really isn't any ordinary story. The Reg is a series of pocketbooks she has written and designed, and they hold the key to the call of action. Not only what are we required to do, but how do we do it, and what are the right reasons when we're dealing with Alzheimer's, when it you know pops up on our door. How do we handle this? So Jane's hope is to really inspire others and put them on the right track from the beginning um in an understanding way just to kind of ease ease the process because this is a difficult, difficult time and help them sort out when something, you know, falls outside kind of that normal aging um behavior. So welcome Jane, how are you doing? Yeah, hi. Um,
0: yeah, I'm really good. It's freezing here in the UK though, but uh, I got my carvious on okay. <laughs>
1: Well, we're thrilled to have you. And um, Jane was so kind to send me um, these little pocketbooks that she's done, and they are absolutely marvelous. Um, they're they're nice big prints, which is something I appreciate as I age, um, but they have just wonderful, wonderful um, tips in them uh, in terms of how to deal with this. And so what I want to do is I've just kind of got a series of questions that I'd like to, you know, have you um, share with our audience because I think you're just filled with such great knowledge. And so, why don't we go ahead and start with, what does somebody do when they know something's wrong with a loved one, and, uh, you know, but they don't know where to start? What do you, what do you do? What do you recommend?
0: um, I think it's quite difficult, but um, the one thing that I think is important is um, to work with what you know about your loved one. I have a fabulous relationship with my dad and and not such a great one with my mother. So um, what I would do is I would tap into what I knew about him and um, try to get where he is at instead of where I'm at. And I think that's the biggest problem we all struggle with because we look to our parents and we see them in the parent behaviour with a level of expectation of how they're supposed to be in old age. And because of the lack of knowledge and training available, I don't think we're able to make the adjustment between seeing the behaviour in the parent and the display of the behaviour that they're actually giving us. Um, and there starts um a bit of chaos for us as the ones looking in the world, but I think for me it was, from my experience, I um, I think my dad knew there was something wrong with him, um, but he didn't really know how to articulate it, um, he would say, oh there's something wrong with my brain box, Jamie, um, and I wasn't going to put the now in the coffin and say, well yeah dad, you know, actually you're kind of losing it, that wasn't going to help anybody, so I just kind of, just tried to kind of ease him, reassure him that, um, I was going to be there, and uh, nothing terrible was going to happen while I had breath in my body, um, and guiding where I could.
1: Well, that's wonderful. You brought up a a really, I think, good point that I think a lot of people struggle with. You said, I had a great relationship with my dad, but not so much with my mom. And that can really Mm. complicate the dynamics of things. How how did you kind of dance with that? Because that, I think, is something so common, and it might not be a parent, it might be a sibling, you know, or an aunt or an uncle, but, I mean, we all have those family dynamics that can kind of throw us for a loop, and so how do you, are, do you have any recommendations on, on how to dance with that and get through that?
0: Oh, I don't know dance would be the most Why, I think if I've been in this question, <laughs> um, I don't think I've ever had a great relationship with my mother since I've been put on this earth. However, I think that um, we find that if you do have a good relationship, the sibling and the people around the family find it. You know, the one that has got that great relationship will find it to get stuck in there with them and help. And from my experience, the per- the as in, you know, our family, my mother and the siblings, just couldn't cope. Couldn't, wouldn't, didn't. Um, but when I look at it from a psychological development point of view, they haven't got the skills, Laurie, in terms of their own world, to be able to bring anything to the table for someone else because they're still, they're still on another. Uh, they're still quite underdeveloped in terms of emotional development. Um, in levels of understanding others, they've still got a lot of their own stuff going on. The one thing my father would do would teach me lots of things. He was like a wise old Buddha, really, um, and I would observe a lot. We'd discuss a lot. But when you've got a parent that's maybe um, struggling, like my mother was, um, she um, she wanted. Um, I believe she wanted to be part of the journey. She wanted to be able to look after him. But if I was to be true to my heart, she just didn't have the skills to bring it in him. And the more she tried, the worse she made him, um, whether it was her tone of voice. And I just think as a daughter, um, because I was the one that could, I did, and I wanted to uh, take care of my dad um, and contribute to this final stage. But I think a lot of other family members will let you do that if you're the one getting on with it. Um, but I think it's also important to keep the communication open, and in that the family will either communicate with you or they'll just step back and let you get on with it um and I think, as siblings, you notice between each other who seems to be doing a better job than the next guy, I guess,
1: yeah, I think um you know it sounds like just in the way that you you know described um working with your mom. That and and I don't know if this was it from the get-go or not, mm. but I feel like you've come to this this sense of not blaming. It's just this isn't something she was good at doing, and you and you don't sound like you're going down the rabbit hole. I don't know. Maybe you never did. Um, I think most of us do, and kind of get blame, and you know, want to teach oh, no. them how to yeah. do things
0: different. Mm. Don't put me on a pedestal, Laurie. Trust me, I've worked long and hard to try and understand my mom and her behaviours and why she does what she does or doesn't, should I say. But I've worked long and hard over the last four years in meditation to move through grief, pain, higher levels of understanding and what if anything else, levels of compassion. But I think I'm now in a place that um I don't wish anybody I don't wish her any harm. I hope she's happy and, and kind of contented, but I think I can see that when people Say, her mother, when I go back to look at her mother, who never really brought anything to the table for her, um, I can't really expect her to have any, um, uh, how can I say, um, I can't expect her to be any different, really, because um, her mother never really taught her a different way. So, I'm open to the fact that, you know, we blaming people for where we're at or where, we, where we're where we not at doesn't resolve anything. It's up to each of us to kind of find a window that says, you know, it is what it is and we're old enough to make a difference moving forward. Um, and that can only show level of understanding and growth um, in an individual, I think.
1: I, I think that's a really nice answer. Um, and I know for myself, I, I went through you know the struggles not so much because my mom was the one with dementia but with other family members. And, and it is tough, but once you can get past the control thing and trying to fix it and realize the only thing you can control is yourself um, yeah. and, and you just let it go. I, I was so shocked at how much better I felt and how much more in control I felt. And just not going down that negativity, um, you know, path. I just felt more energized. I didn't feel as depleted, and that was so huge. And I didn't realize, even though logically I knew it was all tied together, I I just still didn't understand it until I had worked my way through it. And I and I don't think there's a way to work around it. I think you really do have to work through. Um, those types of situations, you have to feel the pain and the grief and the sorrow and whatever it is, and um, and then come to a reckoning, going, "This is the way it is. I can't control it, and move on. My job is with this person. You know, this is yeah. really, you know, you were you're here okay. to take care of your dad. I was there to take care of my mom, and I, you know, you you can't worry about that other stuff. I mean, we can, but." Yeah.
0: I think also I I can't say that I would have looked after my mum how I looked after my dad. I think I would have shipped her out to my stepsister and said she's all yours because, you know, looking back on it, I was I'm definitely cut from the same cloth as my dad and um I just don't understand. you know, you get to you just get to the point that you think you have to work through the uncomfortableness and the pain that um of what you actually see when you witness like I did my dad, gradually breaking down, even though I must say he very rarely didn't know who I was. There was very hardly any occasions he didn't know who I was, but I did know how to talk to him and how to be with him. Um, But I think it's interesting on a sibling level that you observe others and the sisters who are able. But for me, it would have been nicer if everybody kind of pulled together. The one that was good with dad with dementia, mum who was... You know, not coping. Somebody who's better with the finances. And it, for me, I'm really open to stuff like that. But you can't be open when with the people who are closed and and have no intention of growing or changing or amending their ways. And I think eventually you just have to kind of accept how they are. I have to live with me. I have a clear conscience. And I think that's that's the only advice I would give to anyone who's struggling in the same father-daughter, mother-daughter dynamics.
1: Yeah, I, I think that is that is uh, very good advice. Now a lot of people are just terrified that they're not going to be able to cope with this role yeah. as a care partner. Um, can you talk to us about you know what maybe some of the benefits are of investing your you know in your own self care through this process and why it's important? Um, yeah,
0: um, when this was happening, I had. <laughs> Three or four other major disasters going on at the same time, but the thing that I held on to was, um, obviously, I do a lot of personal training. Um, I'm from a healthy, back, you know, sporting background, and um, the whole idea of me setting up some kind of personal training exercise therapy was that it was a it was a place that I could work with people and allow them to be upset. So they could come, still do their exercise, and it was okay if they were upset about various things because I wanted to include people um, and not throw a stigma out there about you can only exercise if you're a certain body type. So I I um, I like keeping myself well. Exercise allows me to stay on top of everything and cope with the amount of work that I do either physically, mentally, you know, with others. But I think you need to find your own your own thing that you love, say you love going dancing or having coffee with your friends, it's really important that you hold on to that because the one thing that we'll never be able to control is what's gonna about to unfold in this Alzheimer, dementia experience. There's just not enough training. Um, so people are stepping into the unknown and it's terrifying for them. The other thing it will do is um, as you, it's really important not to isolate yourself building coping strategies. If you don't, you're going to end up in a place that you wouldn't want, want want your worst enemy to be in because you're the one that is going to be suffering. We can't control dementia. We can't control the regression of what we've witnessed through the various stages. We can only stress manage that. But if you're not coping with yourself or you don't go speak to someone who understands, and that's a whole new thing. Finding people that want to Want to be on side? People that ever have, have an understanding of compassion, or any level of understanding about the emotional behaviour of others and how they affect us. Um, I just think, from the people that I see that don't build that in, they're really struggling. They become really angry, really isolated. Nobody, nobody understands. Well, of course they don't understand um, because they're not in it. Um, so if it's finding things that you really love and, and stay with them because at the end of the day those things are still good for you when when the worst thing, you know, comes comes to the table and your life has to go on.
1: Definitely. I um I again I think that's great advice and I think so many times when we're giving care we we don't think that we can squeeze in ourselves because we're not a priority and we forget that we are the main cog in the wheel and if we break down everything breaks down and we should never ever put ourselves in a place of isolation um, because that's just not a healthy place to be and we can't be the best care partner when we're in that realm and i I learned that the hard way yeah but we do um
0: I think, I think, but you're absolutely right, and I think, but but I think that's what people do from the couples, whether they've got um, memory loss through Alzheimer's or memory loss because of the onset of Parkinson's. um, The one thing I, the one thing I observe all the time is the generation of my parents who are in their 80s and onwards and upwards were not, were not of the mindset of, how can I say self investment? They're from the mindset and the place where they um where they're givers and they help each other. When dementia comes into this sort of arena for the older people, investing in their self is alien and um is almost maybe wrong to spend money of themselves because it's not something that they're used to doing. The younger generation might have a clear understanding of why it's really important to do that and I'm not saying you can't educate the older people because you can but I just think the struggle is is, um, is harder but you, there's no way I could ever look after anybody who was struggling whether it was on a, uh, a mental health level or any other level if I wasn't in the best shape physically or mentally and in that it is not a weakness to ask somebody to come and sit with my dad so that I can go and do that, albeit someone I trust and value, or to build in the the daycare, and I think you guys could maybe call it assisted living or something, because it's a, not so much it's appropriate for self-care for us, but it's more appropriate for them that they still get stimulated.
1: Um, and I think that's a really good point, and... Um for me you know, I I came to that revelation a little later I thought I really thought and this sounds so egotistical and so so just yeah. um it just kills me but I really thought I had to do it all and that nobody else could do it no one else could provide you know my mom or my dad the level of care that they deserved and what I realized was Nobody wants to be tied to me 24-7. My God, I wouldn't want to be tied to somebody 24-7. And we need other people in our lives. We need that variety that's healthy. And um, and not that I, because in some ways, then you're isolating them. And even though yeah. you're trying to protect them, you don't even know that that's happening because dynamics in families and in friendships, I mean, there's highs and there's lows, but that's kind of life, and yeah. you know we get different things from different people, and I know for me i I got in that realm of so wanting to protect them and do what was best. I forgot that, and I think that's, um, I
0: think that's a really important um point that you um when you're looking after mom or dad that you don't forget that you you're entitled to have your needs met and they also are entitled to have their needs met even if it's by a stranger um, sitting with them, holding their hand, having a chat if they can or just being present. Um, and I think we uh, we tighten the gap too much at times. Um, we were in an unfortunate position where I had to step in and stop my dad going back to the family home and I was terrified that of what the future was going to unfold, but it still enabled me to relax slightly when we did find a place for my dad near to where I live, where I would watch the behavior of others to make sure that the right nature was around him, uh, especially if he was sensitive to tone of voice shouting hollering, and stuff like that, which would really affect his his way of being but um I think you can do that when you go into these places, but it is up to you to look. But you're absolutely right. You can't do it all.
1: No, no. And you can't do it. I mean, you can try, but you're not going to be as effective. And and I think, too, it's really assessing what are you good at and pulling yeah. in help. And, you know, I, I've come, and it, it's taken me a long time to get this motto, but, you know, my motto today is, it's about progress, not perfection. And before, it was about perfection, which really inhibited my progress, which I didn't I didn't realize um, because I was so tied into things being perfect and me feeling in control. It was really about me more so than than who I was caring for. It was about my level of comfort, of care versus you know, and was that even reality? You know, mm-hmm. it was it was very much tied into to my emotions, and and that's not you know when we're worried about ourselves, that's not being person centered. And um, no, 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 I understand that. I
0: think it's quite difficult though, because um, I wanted to be with my dad um, when I could and contribute to him the best I could by understanding him more and what his needs were. I think when we have people. At, Come into the home, maybe as a we call it sister service here, where you can have them for an hour or two, so you can go out and have coffee with your friends. I think people, because of the lack of education and training around um this disease and what it brings to the table for people, I think it's alien for people to reach out to others because they feel that um, maybe like my parents did, and I'm sure this is true if my mother was gonna speak, would say we didn't buy into old age for dementia to rise at the door unannounced. We thought this was gonna be a very different, you know, a different journey as we retired. Um, So I think there's a lot of things we struggle with as we get older, especially with Alzheimer's coming into our lives because it's that, you're not just coping with um, what to do about this disease, you're also, coping with how let down and disappointing because this has now come to what it has. And and as we get older and we have less energy, less tolerance, maybe how on earth are we going to cope with everything? But there is value in building in people to help you. For me, that's um that's kind of, um what am I trying to say, that's the wiser thing to do because otherwise, you know, like you said, you just end up bending yourself out of shape, and then you're no good to anybody. And lots of older people want to actually care for their husband or their wife themselves the best they can. Um, they don't want to give them up. Um, but in that, I think it's okay to build these, you know, build different services in, for as long as you check and monitor that they're doing what they should be doing. I don't think yep. it's a failing. I think that's that's something to embrace. Albeit you put the necessary bits and pieces in place so that you are as sure as you can be that this is going to be okay for
1: a while. Well, and it sounds like over in the UK and the US, I mean, we have very common. And sometimes we think we're so different, but um, a lot of similarities and commonalities yeah. in terms of trying to do it all ourselves, and you know, what will others think if I don't do it myself, and You know, one of the questions I learned to ask myself is why am I doing what I'm doing Anytime someone asks me to do something. And I was shocked to find out when I asked myself was it out of love, was it out of guilt, you know, all those different little things that can come up. And and I was shocked sometimes why I did things. And it really was many times, and not so much with my parents, but... um, but in other situations of care, I was doing it because I felt I was supposed to, not because I wanted yeah. to, um, yeah. or I was afraid of judgment. And and I think that's something that we really do have to, we do we do have to look at. And we have to take that that seriously. Um, now you talk about the various stages of regression, and can you explain yeah. to our audience what you mean by regression, and then kind of the various stages and uh, what you witnessed with your dad.
0: Yeah, I right in the beginning, I mean my was a carpenter, you know, by trade and he worked till he was about eighty years old. He loved it. He wanted a reason to get up in the morning, something to contribute. And I think the human race is about that. Most people want to contribute to the world. Um however, um when it became evident that there was something slightly wrong um, I think my dad started to get depressed um, and didn't really understand what his purpose was anymore. And in that process of not going to a job every day or still being able to drive, um, he he started to get in really low mood, no reason to get up in the day. So if I went to the family home just to say, hi, let's go out for lunch, I'll take Dad, give Mum some time off, um, my dad might still be in bed now. That is something really quite alien to me because my dad was normally up at six o'clock in the morning, regardless, even at an older age. So, or when we was out having a coffee uh, and a snack, he would say, um, "Do you do you know what happened to in our family? It was Aunt Jane, my dad's youngest sister, who died Christmas Day several years earlier." And those things were like. Mm there's something not quite right here, or he would articulate, there's something wrong, Janie, but I don't know what it is. So he still has the ability to communicate with me, one, because I think of the relationship we had, and two, you know, I was really interested in my dad and uh, and how things are slightly changing. So I think low mood or lack of interest, sad... um, it's kind of the early stages of um, me noticing that there was something wrong um or something wrong on a level where there was something wrong at home within their relationship and the outplay of behaviors of various family members. That's another area to be aware of. But as he as he kind of become more into what I call second phase, he, he just kind of disengaged slightly because he was older, he needed a bit of support walking. Uh, we needed to build in uh, maybe walking from a stick with a frame. He needed just reassuring where the bathroom was. Um, put my arm out and said, come on, we're going to walk from the car to the cafe and stuff. Um, but from what I've seen in care homes, obviously the next stage was to consider at what point are we now no longer useful and we need some 24 hour care. Um, is a decision that we don't take lightly. I witnessed people in the care home that were still very able bodied and um maybe struggling with understanding. If so I've been in a bit of a kindergarten and I quite liked it there. Um I felt very comfortable. I feel very comfortable around dementia people you know, people who are suffering from dementia, um I don't know why that is, but um I'm very comfortable in that environment and towards the you know, the next phase when their brain starts to close down, hand-to-mouth where they can feed themselves, toilet themselves, or ask for those sort of things, um, to final um, to final care for passing over. Um, I just think if you know your parents, every, every journey that I've witnessed seems to be, there are some similarities, Laurie, but they're intertwined with various different, Mechanics of breaking the body down comes first, which comes second. I don't think there's any natural pattern. I think there's a generic pattern, but I don't think it's the same for all of us. My dad I always agree. knew me, always knew me. He never didn't know who I was, even when the last five days of him passing away in the hospital, he, uh, even though he was calling for his mum and I was aware of what was actually my dad was actually connecting with in terms of spiritualness, et etc. Cetera, et cetera. But even if I said, "Dad, it's me. Open your eyes," even though he had his eyes closed, he did open his eyes. So he knew my voice. But he never—I'm very lucky—he didn't never not know who I was. But I think that's just to do with the relationship that we had. I really liked my dad. He was a great guy. But mm-hmm. I think, I think it's very different lots of different people but we have very, um, we have many similarities with the Alzheimer experience and what we witnessed. Um, the key is I think to remain open and not shocked. I think you've got to get in there. For me, instead of being on the outside looking in, I wanted to get in there with my dad. I wanted to where he was at, how far had he gone back. I was interested in him and, and what was happening to him and for me I think it made the journey, I'm not going to say it was easier to observe somebody deteriorating and being prepared to go back to the source but you know I'm the sort of person that has always been encouraged to be interested in things Um, and then left with the management of the emotional stuff (laughs) that we all have to deal with when this sort of thing turns up and you know we end up in a different place
1: yeah I I think it was important you talked about purpose and you know when do they Mm -hmm. lose that purpose and you know, I don't think I don't think people really ever lose that purpose. My mom is now and has been for four years in her end stages. So she can't feed herself, she can't toilet, um, she's wheelchair bound. I mean she needs total assistance in everything she does. And many people will you know, would look at her like she's a shell of a body. But those yeah. that that took the time to get to know my mom um say so many times to me, she brings me so much joy when she just yeah. all of a sudden flips out it might just be a one liner or she mm. giggles or she yeah. makes some goofy facial expression she they just like she makes my day, you know, yeah. so she still at that stage has purpose, and I don't think any of us should ever think that that ever ever goes away. I think our job as Care partners is to figure out how do we give them even more purpose. How do we make them feel yeah. even more connected um, by I do that the little, with them. yeah, by the uh, little things I like that you were. Oh, I was just going to say by the little things you were talking about in terms of just walking with your dad. Dad, come on with me, you know, where he's accompanying yeah. you, you're not accompanying him. Um, yeah, it's. A lot of it can just be in such little twists of the words or, you know, the way we touch somebody um, or just sitting in silence. I mean, how many times do you sit with your friends and loved ones and, and not a word is spoken and you're comfortable? That's okay to do with someone with dementia, too. You know? Yes, and
0: I think it's what people struggle with because they're always looking for, they've got a level of expectation. or I think the biggest problem my mum had was that she went into this questioning. She wanted the answers to 24 questions and it would put my dad into a flat spin and turmoil because there was she never came up for breath and that never satisfied either of them. For me, when I was a kid, um, really tiny, my dad used to um, take this really hot bath I don't know why I'm telling you this, but um <laughs> I would sit on the toilet lid, you know, he would be big bubbles up, you could see anything, I would sit on the toilet. We would do time tables, So I knew my dad was great with maths and numbers. And um when he when we spent time together, I would give him some money to count and put in various um pots just for, and, and, and I didn't care that the right coin didn't go in the right cup, it was irrelevant. It was just the fact that he was engaging. Or I bought some children's uh, pictures with and pens and my dad would copy for me and then I would put what he did up. Because for some reason I could get into to engage with me and, and feel valued. Now, if you can do that with your parents then, um, and, and have no level of expectation that what they've colour copied isn't quite right, that's the part you've got to give up. It doesn't serve any purpose not you know, to ridicule them or tell them it's not right or they're useless or get angry. Um, because they'll forget and they're doing their best. I watched on the internet the, some guy in the States who does the mandala drawings with some people with certain types of memory loss who are no longer in a position to maybe verbally communicate how they were or needed some physical support. And these people could talk through their soul. They could still contribute. And it's those windows of little miracles that you miss if you don't lower your levels of expectation
1: of them. Yeah, I think... And when you lower those expectations or if you're able to just get rid of them altogether, um, life is so much easier because you're not in the position of having to fix things all the time, you know, and looking at things like they're broken. And it, they just are, and you're able... Anyways, for me, I was able to, you know, enjoy them. And it yeah. just made things so much simpler. And, you know, I, as an adult, I get really frustrated going, why don't we teach our kids this stuff? Why, yeah. why does this have to be such a difficult lesson for us all to learn? Why don't we talk about this stuff? Why can't we change these perspectives? Um, it, it would just... I don't know, it would be so much easier for everybody, <laughs> you know. But that's not the way it is right now. So I think having conversations like we're having, um, you know, opens up kind of the cookie jar and um, yeah. hopefully gets, gets people thinking in a little different mind frame. And um, and they're able to go ahead and have the conversations with their family and with their friends. Um, to me, that's yeah. of the whole intent of
0: yeah and also to open it up on a positive level i mean when we when we work with other people from my point of view, I try to find the people's strength um in it say it was a family with a parent with Alzheimer's to play to their strengths, but at the same token, all the siblings need to respect the other siblings' qualities and and build within them with their families, a family the support network around them because maybe not the one person who is, I don't know, looking at the financial aspects of things, might need a bit of support with stuff. I think communication, even though that didn't really happen in our family, from from moving through this experience, in lot, dealing with lots of issues with families and, and people going through crisis, um, is the, the key is to keep the door of communication open with the family. One of two things is going to happen. It will pull the family together To support each other and and I encourage that or the family will fragment I don't know too many too much of it that's kind of in the middle that's fragmenting and pulling together I'm you know I'm going to write that off I'm sure there must be some families that that do that but um, communication of and and trying to obtain um, knowledge and in the right how do we do this so that we can survive it at the end of the day has um, got to be the way forward, but it also takes some levels of emotional intelligence to, uh, I think it's called, over I mean, here. I'd call it growing up, <laughs> growing up, a bit, a bit sharpish, to say, oh my goodness, I mean, for me, I was aware my dad was probably going to pass in about a year, if I had him for another year, then I was going to be lucky, but I didn't want to be a disappointment and allow his death, To turn me into somebody that I didn't know that I didn't know after everything is invested, and from an investment point of view, I mean by being the father that he was from encouraging me to speak up as a child, just try my best, um, do what you love, um, don't get too get too caught up in everybody else's nonsense, keep your own counsel, and you know, do what you love doing. Um, Mm -hmm. Pretty basic, common values, but they seem to have put me in good stead. I would help somebody if I could. But as I've got older, I've learned to choose more wisely as, I could probably help that person, but actually I'm not gonna That's the difference between knowledge and wisdom. There comes a point where you have to step back and go, hold on a minute here. Is anything I do gonna be useful? Uh, or would it be wiser that I could point them in the direction of somebody else and let somebody else work with these guys? And and that's, I think that's kind of where I'm at with lots of things right now um a, a much clearer understanding of myself, but I work harder on myself in order to help others through various phases of emotional turmoil, which is what Alzheimer's brings to the table really.
1: Now, do you find, you know, earlier in the discussion and I had meant to bring this up at this time, but um mm-hmm. I forgot uh, you had mentioned about you know there's not enough training, but I also think that one of the problems are is that people think that they can go to a training session and they're going to have all the answers. It's going to be the magic bullet. <clears throat> and to me, I think it's something that we have to constantly be educated on because every every person is different, every situation is different, and um, you know this disease it just twists and it turns, and what works. One minute might not work, you know. The next, and I yeah. think it can give false hope sometimes to people when they think that they're trained, because I think it's a. I really think it's a never-ending necessity in terms of, um, and it really has to do with being open to new ways um, and kind of, to me, building a toolbox um, yeah. instead of just thinking this. This works you know, and shutting the door and then getting in that that comfort zone that really isn't a a solid place to be because something's going to tip your boat over sooner or later. With Absolutely. I, th- I think that's a really,
0: uh, um, I think that's a really valid
1: point because um, it does have many twists and
0: turns. In terms of training, I think I want to interpret that and so I think there's a thread for education and awareness Um to bring to the table um, situations like, how do I how do I get my dad to the doctor with me so I can get a diagnosis or a blood test going in? How, what questions should I ask the care home? Like in the little books, they little snippet sites into encouraging people that they don't have to step too far back. They can step up and say, right, come on, I can do this bit. So from a point of encouragement and some things that they might step into along the way in the various stages, In terms of uh, training, um, I think that's more relevant to the care profession in those trained individuals, um, is to bring something of yourself to the table. So we can all go and get various qualifications in, um, you know, sports psychology, NLP training, uh, nursing and stuff like that. But that doesn't necessarily allow an individual... Um, to bring something from inside out. Compassion is something that you have. It's innate or it's something that has come about from a journey. But um, I think it's important to encourage people to bring something from the inside. When I look at working with various um, people who are struggling, it isn't necessarily the same way for everybody. It's it's going individual where they're at, find out what they've got, and oh, are they actually interested in developing themselves so they can be a better carer? I don't believe in one size fits all.
1: Yeah, I don't, I don't either. And I also think so many of the things that you learn during this journey, I mean, they can be applicable to multiple places in your life. And and really, I mean, for me, it's such um, beautiful life lessons that that I have now applied, you know, in all different areas and I think made me a, such a better person. You know, for yeah. that. And so, but I think part of that is the attitude of looking, you know, looking looking at things as a gift um and looking for, you know, what is the lesson um and not just what is the burden. And uh, you know, some people just can't get to that point. And yeah. but once you can, it's it's amazing how how different it is. Then you realize it's it really is no different than anything else you're going through, you know, in your life. Now, some people yeah. kinda of fall into, you know, a state of depression or kind of the dark well, um, and they don't really understand you know, what's going on. Can you talk a little bit about that and maybe how people can um avoid that Feeling of of abandonment and um, depression when it comes to
0: yeah, I think um, yeah, I think um, so I don't think people mean to isolate themselves. From my experience, it's kind of maybe something that happened. I'm an individual that will um, get up, get out there. You know, my dad taught me, you know, just get on with it. And, uh, but I think that's an old-fashioned in, uh, teaching in today's world. Um, but from when I when I mention about falling into the well, I mean about once they've gone. The one thing mm-hmm. I needed to come to terms with and balance with myself was I didn't realise just how much I gave of myself in terms of um, stress managing. The two parents, the family, um you just have what to do with yourself when they're not there anymore um, and and that's what I mean about falling into the world you can't kind of fall you kind of it's like driving off your driveway in the morning, you would normally turn left, but for some reason you've turned right, and there's this huge well there that has never been there before, but it's there that day and and in that it's quite difficult to manage how you feel about it. Um, I think the only thing that I did is that um, I enjoy putting myself through various methodologies like meditation or exercise because of what they bring to the table. I'm also interested in learning why something is that way. But it was a massive insight for me of just how much I did for my dad. And now he wasn't there coupled with the fact I had chronic life disaster at the same time in other areas of my life, um, I was like, oh, my goodness. Um, but I don't think you consciously think of it. You might be down. You're aware that you're down. You're there. You're aware that every now and again you're getting cheerful, That's part of grief. And that affects people in different ways, comes in quick, relates to lots of different people. Um I just think it's about you being aware of you, you as the person. And um, but I just think it made me such a, I don't think my dad passing was the worst thing that ever happened to me. I don't think anything terrible has ever really happened. I think, I think falling into the world thinking, oh my God, what now? Well, if my dad passing was the worst thing, then I'm doing alright. Um, and driving myself to make something of myself so he could be proud which he always was, I'm not saying that he's definitely was in order to make him fail, but finding ways in myself to cope. I don't function very well when I'm tearful, I don't think he's what he does, and I don't like <laughs> periodically being upset, I don't like being in that state. So as a just as an individual, there's a part of me that will do everything I can to acknowledge it's okay to be upset. And that's something that I had to learn, it's okay to have a really crap day, it's okay to be tearful because you never value the great days um, that you do have and, and how much you bring yourself forward. So that was a bit of a lesson for me because, you know, having a really crappy day of why am I sitting here right just now and now I'm really teary, what is going on? And you can't identify necessarily what it is. Everyone else will tell you what it is but it doesn't feel like that to you necessarily.
1: Yeah, and I like that you brought up, brought that up because you you can't have a good day without having a bad day. You can't be high without having a low. I mean, it's the whole yin and the yang. It it gives us balance. It gives us appreciation. And, yeah. um, and again, I think it's a normal state. Emotions aren't good or bad. They just are, and we have to feel them and appreciate them and then move through. I think where we get in trouble is how we react to them. And, you know, if we start harming ourselves or somebody else, um, you know, then that's not a good thing. The other thing that I liked, you know, when you were talking about grief and your dad's happy. Can I just having... say something else?
0: Can I just sure. start in there? I think the other, you know, the other thing is is it, it it depends on your philosophy of stuff, but your reaction is right. But also other people, when you're in the well and you're frustrated, it doesn't help for other people to kind of stick a label on saying she's in grief. It's this, it's that I think it's really in imp- that other people just are there to listen to you, not make a judgment, not stick a label on you, and let, and encourage you to kind of work through various emotions because they you know five or six years ago, I might have had a different opinion, but now they're just kind of feelings and emotions, and once you work through those, you'll end up in a better place with different knowledge, different insight into life and the behaviors
1: of others and how they affect us yeah good very good point um the other comment i wanted to make you know mm-hmm. when my dad passed about grief was i was i hate to say self absorbed but I, I guess i was I, and i really felt that i was absorbed with his care but mm-hmm. you know, for one year i did not know who i was i lost my identity I mean, yeah. I I really I didn't. People go, well, what do you like to do? And I was like, I don't know, I, I don't know. I didn't do anything for myself, <laughs> you know, because I was taking care of my dad had brain cancer. My mom had Alzheimer's disease, and it was it just consumed, you know, every every breathing moment between them and my own family and work and volunteering. I literally did not know who I was or what I wanted out of life. I was just I had so isolated myself that I had become just a carer. And yeah,
0: coupled with coupled with the terror of what life mm-hmm. is gonna be when mum and dad are not there. I think yeah. that's something we don't articulate that, we don't talk about that side of things very much. We try and cross the bridge before we come to it as human nature, and that causes its own problems. I mean, if there's one thing that I'm guilty of, I will prepare myself to the best possible ability for anything that's about to come up and bite me on the butt, so I'm kind of half got the act together. I'm just like that. Um, and um, But I think when you're, like you have, you've experienced mum and dad, you must have been terrified on one level, um, and who can you talk to who you got any idea what that must feel like without mm-hmm. making a judgment call or telling you what you should or shouldn't be doing. Um, I think there's sort of giving advice to people that is put in such a way that it allows them to be thoughtful and open-minded, but the decision then, you know, at the end of the day needs to be theirs. When people start to tell me what to do, it causes more problems than it is useful um on any level about any subject.
1: So you must have been terrified through that. Yeah, it was it was bizarre because I, I felt I mean I remember going back, my dad's been gone for since oh one now. But I remember <laughs> excuse me. I remember thinking I've lost him and I and and I'm losing mom and And I've lost myself. How did I lose myself? I'm still here, (laughs) you know. But I really, I really lost myself. So for me, what I did was, I because people kept going, well, what do you like to do? What do you like to do? And I just, I really, I stood there like an idiot and go, I don't know. And then I thought, well, we end up making so many decisions for everybody else that we're caring
0: for. When someone says, what do you want to do? You don't really want to make that decision. Can someone just tell me what to do? (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. <laughs> <it> so
1: well. <laughs> yeah, but I I ended up I I started signing up for all kinds of classes and mm-hmm. thought I'm just going to explore. <clears throat> I'm going to do a little traveling. I'm going to I'm just I'm just going to figure out what brings me joy because I lost that and that is something I don't think anybody should ever lose because um then you lose your purpose. Yeah. You know, when or, you, you really... Some, <clears throat> sometimes you have to get a bit lost to be able to find your way
0: back. Maybe some
1: people feel like that. Yeah. And it was a, I mean, it was a hard journey, but it was a very good journey for me, too. I can I can say that. It made me a better person. It made me, it really made me think, what do I like? And where do I want to put my energy? And who do I want to be around? And I made much stronger choices. And I think I'm much yeah. happier for that. Um, and there's not that uh, there, yeah. there there weren't some tough choices, too, where I, I decided to let some people in my life go, you know, that yeah. I, it, they weren't filling me, um, and not that it's just about me, but it has to be a two-way street, or it should be, is what I found. Yeah. And there were some people that I was giving way more than what I was recei- receiving, and um, when I really was honest with myself, I, I didn't feel good around them, or after yeah, I left I think, them.
0: Yeah, I, th- I think um, we all get to that point. When I can remember when my dad passed, when my dad was passing away, and I got the call, I was working for someone at the time, and um, after he passed away, um, I decided to. That the relationship that I was in at the time. That's enough of that. It's probably over a couple of years previous. But because my dad got sick and he lost his partner, you know, you're just kind of in this. You're drifting along. You're existing instead of um, doing the other thing. Um, quit my job. Decided to work for myself. But I think when you lose your the per, the people around you that have that help contribute to the patchy hole you find yourself, it gives you an immense amount of courage and it also clears out the alleged friends that you thought you had. I do believe lots of people don't know what to do when they're around someone who loses their mum or their dad, but I also believe it's a bit of a cop-out, but I am quite opinionated on that, I guess, um, because I have a level of expectation that it's all right to talk about stuff like that, um, but the struggle that others have or um, that you're contagious because you're now by yourself. <laughs> it doesn't work like that. When people need friends, good friends around them. So like you, I had a massive clear out, changed my life, but it kind of all happened over three or four months. But I think it was the catalyst of everything and me valuing myself and really identifying what I was really about um, as a human being. Um, And I don't think I've ever looked back. If those friends want to get off the bus, that's cool. My bus left ages ago, and you're either on the bus or you get off, but I'm not waiting. Uh, But I think that's what the whole experience brought about me and growing and really having a massive understanding about others and what they do or what they don't do and the disappointment in it all depending on where you're at in your journey. Mm
1: -hmm. And everybody's in a different spot. and. there's yeah. no right or no wrong way to go down this path. I mean, it just, uh, you know, we are all led in different ways. We all um, have different histories, and, you know, we walk into this with different dynamics. And, you know, we just have to do the best we can um, with what's before us. And I think, like we talked earlier, the education and the training, um, you know, training for the staff, but the education to the general public and to those <clears throat> those at home, Giving care and friends um, in terms of how to interact with people, and yeah. again, I always say, don't lose the core of your relationship to this disease. There is a reason that your friends or your family um, don't lose that. don't Don't let this disease take that from you. You know, um, protect that. And and just, yeah, but I think that's you know, a, I
0: think that's right. That's a nice that's a nice ideal situation, but I think for lots of people, that's not the case. I think people move themselves away if you're in a heightened state of stress dealing with a parent who is um, fragmenting to a shell of the existence they were. Um, And I think in an ideal world, it's something people need to be mindful of, but I don't think it's necessarily the reality for a lot of people. Um, And a bit like the attention that cancer has got, um, you know, it's something that's talked about more, It's uh, advertised more, there's more solutions, there's more things going on. That's something that I would like to see happen with Alzheimer's. And if I've got anything to do with it, then um, doing my little books to show people how I invested in them, then that's got to be a way forward because we can't keep pushing this under the carpet, ignoring the fact that these things are affecting people the way that it is. It's almost like the silent... Disease. Let's not talk about it. Let's not bring it out to the table. I don't. I don't necessarily mean mean around the dinner party. And it's a topic of debate. But I do mean in terms of um, raising awareness of how it important it is to collaborate together and raise awareness. Um, people who could and can get on side and um, open up um, things for people, so they've got the support
1: that they need. Mhm. Definitely. Well, wonderful. Well, this has just been such a fun conversation with you. Um, I still have like a zillion more questions. Do, can you stay with me <laughs> another fifteen or twenty minutes, or do you need to yeah, get I'm running? Yeah, I'm
0: good. Yeah, okay. no, no,
1: I'm good. Okay. wonderful. Well, I just I, I think you've got, like I said, great insights. You've been there, um, and you just approach things very balanced, which is nice and non-judgmental, and you know. It, it, this is just not an easy journey um, for most of us. It's not something that we just, you know, slap on our back and and move forward with. I mean, it really is something that we have that we struggle with, in terms of of how to how to work with all of this stuff. So, how do you have any advice to people if they're going to start maybe inviting people into their homes to help um, with some home health care? Do you have some advice for families on that?
0: I, if I was to be, if I've talked from my heart, I wouldn't have had anybody in my parents' home that I didn't intuitively feel that they were a good egg. If I had any sense, feeling, sign that um, when I spoke to them, they didn't listen, they didn't hear me, they spoke over me, they um, they showed all the other signs of communication that I don't appreciate, and they wouldn't have got in the door. But I think it's worth people considering, you know, we are only, what I've seen in families, they are only so grateful that people in care or outside industries come into their homes, they're only so grateful that they hand everything over to them. And actually what I've witnessed here is with the families is that, some of the carers, not all, just some come in and the person that is in you know, that is encouraged is to you know, as in the mother looking after the husband with dementia, for example, um, the carer has completely taken over. And um for me that that's the thing that doesn't work because it just brings more fire and anger to the table. I think it's really important to have some kind of agreement especially if you're having someone come into private home. This is what I do. I've some kind of agreement that says, I'm asking you to come in and provide the services of maybe helping him get washed or dressed and, you know, maybe feeding or sit with him for an hour or so. What are the qualities that you can bring to the table? What are your qualifications? Um, what who could, who could verify that you're good at what you do? Um, because... Probably like you at one stage, I didn't believe anybody could look after my dad how I looked after him. And I wasn't looking for somebody like me. I was looking for somebody who had traits like me where I was I wanted someone to communicate with him on a soft tone of voice. I, want, I was looking for someone to be encouraging and compassionate. And if he wanted to sit and watch a movie, they were going to sit and watch a movie with him. Um, so I would have an agreement clearly laying out, this is what I would like, do you agree, can you give us that, are you qualified to administer medication, and in that we move forward, and at point, you're not happy, get the next person and spend the time finding the right people to work with. There's some fabulous, amazing individuals who have this wonderful ability to do such a fantastic job with loved ones. And there's some really horrendous people out there, and the the key is for not to hand your life over, but to do the work you should be doing in order to make sure you've got the right people around you, doing what you ask them to do. Then, especially if you're paying them, that's the yeah. nice least they can do. Surely, that's a very um that's probably the business side of my head. Of you know, I'm asking you to come and do something for me, and actually, when I ask you to do this, it's not a request. <laughs> you know, step up, let's get on with it. I just think it's difficult. Oh, go ahead. I think it's difficult. I think it's difficult for the person who has done so much for their loved one. Do they really want to be bothered with that sort of thing? But for me, it's that's the most common sense thing to do, rather than just hand your life and you're opening the door to a stranger, maybe without you doing your own. And I believe everything somebody tells you, and for me that's slightly
1: foolish. I'll listen
0: to what someone
1: tells me, but I will check myself in my own way. And I, I like that you said listen to your intuition. You know, I always tell people um, it, our gut has led us this far. And how many times do we say, oh, I knew I shouldn't have done that. You know, something told me, but I did it yes. anyways. And it's like, listen to that, because there's, there's no going back. I mean, you can do you know the the criminal checks and all of those types of things and they're not the best because we don't have a tracking system for people who have abused the system and that would be something that would be really nice um I would love to see something like that up where we shared that worldwide um you know from from an abuse standpoint but you know don't ignore your intuition and I think the other thing that's really important is um when someone is going to be kind of taking your place and doing some of the tasks that you used to do, don't just tell them the task. let Give them instruction in terms of how to deliver that task um, so that it's similar to the way you did it. Maybe it's similar in time. Maybe it's similar in the tools that you use. Maybe this person likes a, you know a certain plate or a certain cup. Those little things can be huge in terms of how someone with dementia is going to react. So, you know, really analyze how are you doing things and why have you done them this way. Most, for most of us, it's because it's alleviated some triggers and some anxiety and maybe even some anger, you know, and it's allowed this person to be more comfortable. And so don't just give them the list of to-do's. Make sure that you sit yeah. down and talk about your approach and what's worked and why it's worked. I think worked.
0: that's really valid.
1: Yeah, they need that to know why it's point. worked. Mm-hmm.
0: But also, it's a way of um, educating others. Um, like it's a bit like going for you know applying for a job. You get the job and you go in and you get a, one boss that says these are the things I would like you to do, and I'm aware that you might have your own way of doing. It. It's really important here is that we do this this way. And then you give the explanation, because. So not only does the person understand, but hopefully they'll also understand why it's important to do it
1: that way. Exactly. Um,
0: on on the topic of intuition, um, not, I think we all have intuition. Like you said, I don't think we all listen to it, and there is we get our bucket. However, people... Um, I mean, if you're like me, you know, I'm a visionary, um, I'm also very kinesthetic, but lots of people might see something in a behavior of someone but not necessarily connect it, but they'll they'll see that maybe that's not quite right in their response. They might feel it. Oh, um, I, I develop my feelings of energy so I can feel, well, there's something not right here, and it's, oh, I was all right, so it must be you there's something going on with the energy and I will pick up on someone's energy or I'll hear something as well. And it's various um, hearing, seeing, feeling works at different times for me. So another, say a gentleman might hear something um, when he's asking someone to come up to his wife and he would be uncomfortable. But paying attention to those little signs and the signs coming on
1: a very subtle vibration and it's up to us to pick up on it I think that's great, great advice um, because we all, you know, intuition does hit us all differently. We we interact. We have, you know, we, we uh, react to different senses differently. I mean, there's times where uh, sometimes I'll actually hear something in my head. It'll just shoot through like a voice. Sometimes it's a feeling in my stomach. Um, sometimes I'll see a word just shoot in front of my face or a vision, And you know those are all things that happen to all of us. And what we call them, we you know people might not call them intuition. They you know they might not even label it, but it it happens to all of us. And I think the more in tune we can be to on that level really makes dealing with dementia um, so much easier, uh, because you're just more insightful.
0: I think the other, the, mo- the most important thing as well is um, how, say my dad, for example, if I brought a, a feeling into my dad and uh, myself environment, I would watch how my father responded when another individual was in the room, was he comfortable, was he uncomfortable, was he twitchy, was he always wanting to go to the bathroom? What? Yeah, I knew my dad really well, and most of us know our parents well, on a level. However, bringing a third energy into the room and us advocating from not looking at what happens to the person who's experiencing memory loss, they, from my point of view, my dad's behavior and how he was told me more about his sensitivity as, as dementia came in more than it did about my intuition. And I just had to observe him on how he was when there was someone else interacting with him. What what was their tone of voice like? Did they allow him the time and the grace to be able to stand up when he still could comfortably? um, Or were they pushy? Were they loud? Because none of that was gonna work for my dad and I would step in at that point going, well, this isn't gonna work. You got are out, or the next you know, I would find another model to work with. So I think there's a mentor individual who's experiencing the breaking down tells us more than our own intuition at times if we observe them. They can't communicate necessarily but their their lack of engagement or flinch or um, you can sense your own parent if they're kind of, if they can't communicate whether they're kind of Alright, in their world, at that place, at whatever stage they're in, and you
1: know when they're not, when something's wrong. Yeah, and and I would say that uh, they still communicate; they just communicate differently. You know, Absolutely. so they might not be not might not be able to tell us in words or you know point to a pain. So it really is up to us to look closer for those signs. And you know, most of our communication is nonverbal. Yet we think the only yeah. way. We communicate is yapping our jaw, and it's kind of funny. I mean, when you think about it, and um, how important it is, but we've taken that for granted, and we don't realize how precious those nonverbal signs are. I mean, they're just such a valuable tool when it comes to to dealing with uh, someone who can't communicate the way they used to. And yeah, and, and I also think it's
0: about your own your own growth in not. Just um laying down and accepting well this is how we've always done it, I do think if you want a uh, a journey that um, is in uh, not that you can choose your journey, what am I trying to say um doing getting two steps of what might happen, getting two steps ahead, thinking well if my dad if my dad can't, is struggling to communicate like that, what might be next? Am I interested in seeing if I can encourage him to kind of either uh, find those words you used to or if I can bring some other words in. But it's about the ones that I left on the side doing the work. If you're approaching it from the point of view that you still have an expectation that, oh, well, you just can't do that anymore and that's kind of it, we don't communicate, well, that's a bit of a sad existence and you're going to lose out because some of the journey is funny, tragic, hilarious, it's such an emotional roller coaster of growth and if you're interested in various other forms of communicating, you have a you have a very different experience with Alzheimer's than those who just kind of lock down and become terrified because they don't have the skills. But you can go get more skills. It's what it depends what you're like as a in the nature of your own existence, I think. Mhm. Well
1: good. Good points. You have given us just such wonderful information. I could talk with you all day long, and I, I so oh, appreciate the time. I could and talk yes, obviously, about this
0: disease over, you know, doing it what I can to help someone or show a bit of insight into the journey and what's going on and what, or what isn't going on. Um, you know, just to encourage people to do their best and find, not not do it my way, but to encourage them to find their own way. And if that helps point them in the right direction slightly or use a thread of what they know, then um, maybe it will be worth it.
1: Do you have any last words of advice that you would like to to give our listeners today? And, uh, you know, we get people who actually have dementia. We have families and friends. We have advocates. We have business professionals. So we really have a a wide variety of people who listen to the show. So, any any last tips that you want to give? Um, we'd we'd love to hear them. Oh, cool. um, yeah. Let me think. For the people with dementia,
0: mm-hmm. I'll come back to that. I'm going to say so I'm not sure what I'm going to say about that. But for the For the father-daughter relationships, mother-son, son-father, step into their world and do the work on yourself to um, grow and have a level of understanding. It will be upsetting but you will grow so much as an individual. Get in there. Don't separate yourself from them until those, until that period is coming, you have to do the work about letting go. Uh, But that's about, that's just about life, that's what happens, we don't all live forever. Um, In terms of people um, with training, we need more training, it's alright to step up, it's alright to not agree, but it isn't alright not to debate. So in the debate is the truth, is, is being part of something worthwhile. And we need to pull together. There's no point in there being 20 voices in the UK, 20 voices in the USA and every other planet. We need to pull together and have one voice so we're more of a, a conglomerate that can fight for what our loved ones need and want in terms of training, education, and awareness, Um I just think it would be, we would have more power in terms of making a difference to this world, in terms of the onset of Alzheimer's when it arrives at a door. Um, And for the people with dementia, um, I don't think I know what to say, Laurie. Um,
1: What I always tell them is, you know, don't live as the disease, live with the disease. Um, don't don't give up on your life because you've got a diagnosis. You are so much more than a diagnosis, and yeah. don't let anybody tell you any different you know us yeah, many of us out there um here to support you and help you and again um if you've got dementia or not it's it's like everything else in life. sometimes you just have to align yourself. With the people who are going to support who you are today, and, yeah, and move what forward. Yeah, do what you can. Yeah, mm-hmm. exactly. How,
0: I think that's really important. Yeah.
1: Now, how do people get a hold of of your little booklets here? Because these are these are so great. You've got one that is uh, hints and tips on what works, considering um, you know. Uh, care home. You know, ask the right questions after diagnosis. What's next? The twelve steps to action, and um, you know, symptoms and the ten steps uh, to obtaining diagnosis. These are just these are such great resources. What's the best way for people to get a hold of you and to be able to purchase those, Jane? Um,
0: they can purchase the little books um, on the website that I created called Just Call Me Dot com and um you can buy them in print through the website, you can download them in PDF. I've uploaded them to Amazon, Kindle, I've tried and they're various prices because I wanted I don't want to I know what this feels like as a human being. I didn't want to not include um people. I wanted to include everyone. They were on Book Baby, various digital platforms. Um, but what I wanted to thank you for allowing me to speak on your program was I've got 10 sets available to anybody who tunes in today who think that any of these sets might be useful and I'm going to give them free today but you have to email me through the website and I will send them out this week but the first 10 people to contact me through the site. Um, I'll package them out. I've got a few hundred here <laughs> that I've kind of paid for myself and I'm more more than happy to um, say thank you for your time and uh, graciousness to give me such a great platform and, and tell me what your opinion
1: is of them and if you think they'll help anybody
0: then um, there's got to be a step in the right direction.
1: Oh, yeah, they are absolutely fantastic, and I, I just think they're such a great resource. And, you know, they're they're small, they're uncomplicated. Um, you can throw them in your, your purse or, you know, have them in your car and just, you know, it, and they just, I don't know, they've got, this sounds really goofy, but they just have really good energy that just make you feel <laughs> like you're not alone. Um, I think and the me,
0: point of designing them that way was one, they're big enough that you can read them. That was a valid point. And um, they're shiny, so if you you can have them in your pocket, and you don't have to tell the world that you're reading about, about Alzheimer's, and you can just open, read them. What do I do now? Stick them back in your pocket if you're embarrassed on any level. And I know that affects some people. Um, and some of these in the set, so, you know, I'm going to give ten sets away. All four of them. Book is not for you. Give it to somebody that they're going to help. Um, if 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 you've already got the diagnosis then you're looking at some hints and tips on what actually might work for you don't keep hold of them, ship them out to your friends and, and
1: what have you um, and people can also hook up with you on Facebook and Twitter and LinkedIn, um, I would really really highly recommend that you go ahead and connect with Jane Cooper, um, she just has some great information and you've just been such a pleasure to talk to and you know, you're not talking over our heads. You're talking real stuff here that we can all apply and um, and understand. And I think that's one of the problems with some of the education that goes on is that it it gets a little too um, over the head, and um, it's, it's a little bit too heavy, and we just really need to know how to live with this disease, not as um, if you're a person with dementia or a carer. I
0: think you have to talk. To people and not at people um, and understand that you know my journey was this way your journey is and if and if this journey has taught me anything at all it's about how I can align myself and adjust myself to understand what it might be like for someone else it is, it is in a different phase of different experiences but I think the general concept is the same Um when you work with other people people don't want to be put down they want to be heard they want to they want to know it's all right to be upset they want to know it's all right to be oh god i have isolated myself and how do i fix it um because i don't want to feel like this and what what about me when i'm on my own at the end of the journey what's going to happen to me people people want to be heard and listened to and not always fixed I think that's, that's the point. But the Twitter and the Facebook thing is on the top-left-hand side of the website, and um, you can you know, feel free for anybody to post any comments, ask any questions. Um, if we can point
1: them in the right direction, Marie, then that can only be a good thing for everybody. Well, wonderful. Well, thank you again so much for your time today. Really appreciate it. And I'll be pushing this out in the blog a little bit later. Uh, this afternoon, and I'll also note about uh, your willingness to, to give 10 copies away. That's just absolutely fabulous. Um, in the future here, coming up, we're going to be doing another Dementia Chat, which will be on December 11th, and we'll most likely be talking with Rick Phelps and um, Harry Urban from Memory People and discuss how their convention went. They had over 40 people go to New York, and um, meet for the first time. They've been a social support group and now they uh, actually were able to, to get together and meet. So I'm very excited to hear hear about that. And then our upcoming shows we have on, um, let's see, December 11th. I'm going to have Dr. Al Powers on. He's the author of Dementia Beyond Drugs and Judy Berry, who owns Lakeview Ranch, who um, really has just come to a fine art of how to get people off of the, uh, a lot of their medications and just have them be really comfortable in their environment. And then on the 17th, we'll have Dr. DeVere with us, and um, we are also going to have uh, Elian Caspi with us, and they will be talking about, you know, what do you need to know about this disease and then also about preventing um, responsive behaviors, Um, And then later in the month, on the 24th, on Christmas Eve, I'll be interviewing Phyllis Palm, whose husband had um, dementia or has dementia, and she wrote a book called Put That Knife Away. And so I know all of these are going to just be fantastic conversations, and we hope that you'll join us. And if by chance you can't be with us live, again, all episodes are recorded and easily accessible. Until next time, um, have a wonderful, wonderful week and a holiday season. And remember, it's about progress, not perfection. Hi, this is Suzanne Newman, host of the Answers for Elders podcast and radio show.